it's no competition. God does not need to compete for your attention. To contend for your attention would be to mean something else actually has the possibility of beating him. He is undefeated. There is no comparison. There is no comparison, only complacency. When you choose to settle for less, God will not beg for you to choose him because champions don't beg. Champions don't settle. Champions don't lower themselves just to prove once again that they can win, not only at the top of the MMA arena, but again at the bottom. Imagine a famous fighter showing up at your high school just to fight you in gym class, just to remind everyone and himself that he is the best, both at the top and the bottom. There is none better. You wicked and perverse generation asking for a sign. The sign you get is the sign of Jonah. You see, Christ died in three days in the belly of the earth, where dead things go, both body and spirit, and was hurled back into our life to bring deliverance. The good part of the story of Jonah is those people he preached to quickly repented and avoided the judgment and wrath of God. But you see, they worshipped a fish god. And when a beast of the sea spewed a prophet onto the beach, they all listened and did whatever he said and got right with Yahweh. But they got lazy, apathetic in their faith, and turned back to their old ways. We miss camp. We miss that conference, whatever it is. And we start playing games, turning back to our wants, our selfish gratification of the flesh. And God wiped Nineveh from the face of the earth. Now that death and hell couldn't keep Christ down, and out of the grave he came alive, full of power and all authority, and tells you to be free in him. And when you first encountered his presence, you know you repented. Many recall their conversion with great detail. Some just born into it and decided, this is good. I'm keeping it and making it mine, kind of like me. But now what? Are you getting lazy? Does the Bible app just not do it for you anymore? Do the Christian social media influencers just not really do it for you anymore? Does just reading his word seem to have become a mundane task rather than a hopeful discovery of something new? Now, we are in a constant pursuit of that something new. A new season of Fortnite Battle Pass, new Halo Infinite, new shoes, new guy, new girl, new Chipotle ingredient. <laughs> we have become as apathetic in our faith as the Ninevites. Have we? When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, it was simple and beautiful. Say it if you know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think I might have missed a piece in there. But here's the question I want to ask. After they had done all this, Jesus pondered to himself, Will the Son of Man, will I, find faith on the earth when I return? Or will they, too, turn back to their lusts and desires? Or will they make this whole thing I've made available to them through my sacrifice about how to pray, how to fast, how to study the Bible, ten steps to being a better Christian, seven steps to living righteous? I find it so interesting how immediately after teaching the disciples how to pray upon their request, his concern is, is this what's all going to become again? What the Pharisees and Sadducees have made it? 
Pray this prayer, follow these laws, and you'll go to heaven. God does not want more religion and law. In Christ, the law has been fulfilled, and we now pursue relationship with Him. But more importantly, we must share Him with the world. I dare say that you may very well be calling yourself a Christian and trying to deepen your walk with Him, but His command as your Lord, that is, owner, is now in Christ. And what He has accomplished on the cross in His death and resurrection. We are to become his disciples. First, be baptized. I could stop there. Don't be shamed. But the devil's plan of making baptism optional has worked in today's church abroad. It's very counterculture. But we aren't made for this world's culture because we are not of this world. So why is it that the very first command Christ gives us as Lord to make disciples of Jesus Christ is baptizing them? This is so powerful and significant in your life, whether you felt it in the waters of baptism or not. This is divine allegiance. By your confession, you are saved, committed even, but I'd like to present to you an idea. What if the confession of our lips, I love you, I receive you, is the engagement? And we're walking around with the wedding band on our finger, but we haven't gone through the covenant establishing act of baptism before God and others into the supernatural family of the Lord. Now, to say you're not committed to one another would be a joke. It's clear and evident that you're committed one to another. But have you taken that next step from the engagement to the marriage? I mean, talk with your own pastors about that one, but I think that the first step to being a true disciple of God, according to Jesus, as he ascended into heaven, is be baptized. And we haven't even obeyed him in that. Then we might be committed, but we aren't official yet. And you're missing out on the benefits of that union, going through the waters, coming out alive in Christ, bearing not his name in vain taking on his name, his last name, the name of Yahweh. God does not have to contend for your attention. He is the champion. But we tend to try and tell God how it is and how it's going to go. But he's so confident and secure and patient that his word remains unchanged and he'll let you do what you want to do. But if you ever really want to see life and life abundantly, his instruction is already there. In your Bible, and according to Job 33.3, it is sealed upon your heart. When you fall asleep, the Lord seals his instructions upon your heart. It's often the only time that we tend to shut up long enough for God to really have a conversation with you in any way. And even then, we're constantly trying to screw that up by controlling our dreams and our sleep with reality shifting, astral projection, lucid dreaming, thinking we can produce a better narrative in our sleep than that God could ever have in our waking. Man, all you're doing there is opening doors to demonic that will enslave you. Even as you, as a believer, when you play with the occult and witchcraft, that is you giving legal access to demons to influence or inhabit your life, saved or not. Wake up, O sleeper. How many of you know You can be awake, but you ain't up. Many of you have been sleeping for the past few years now. It's time to wake up. Arise, O sleeper. 
and walk circumspectly, not as foolish, but as wise. You've had someone wake you up for school or church in the morning one time, two times, three times, you fall back asleep until they come and say, I said, get up. I am up. No, you're not. You might be awake, but you aren't up. Toes on the ground. Get out of bed. You better know the next time you hear footsteps headed your way and you're almost back asleep with your head on that pillow, your feet still in bed, that the fear of God comes on you and you hear that doorknob begin to turn, that old faithful creaky board right before your door gives you the alert and you jump out of your bed and shake that look of sleepy off you in 1.7 seconds as your mom opens the door and she sees you and says, good, I'm glad you're up. We got to go soon. Y'all don't even hear what I'm really saying. I can hear the footsteps of my king. He has promised to soon return, but we're sleepwalking, being totally useless. Or we're awake, but still in bed, engaging in social media under the covers, but there's footsteps just outside that door. Like a thief in the night, so will be the coming of our Savior. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe there will be a time of weeping before we step past the judgment seat of Christ. You see, he lived a perfect life as a man. He is the only one qualified to judge you as a man and as God, and he will decide your fate. And there are two judgments, the sheep and goats, those who are followers of Jesus and who are not, that's one. And then there is a judgment seat of Christ, that great white throne judgment where those in Christ are judged. What will be judged then? All standing there naked before God and everyone? All servants of God? Followers? Said the prayers, went to church, took communion, got baptized? But why then are we being judged? We are his sheep, not goats. The parable of the talents in Matthew tells us that the kingdom of God is like a man who went away on a journey and entrusted his property and wealth to his three servants. To one he gave, in today's value, $9,788,445. To another he gave $3,915,378. And to the third he gave $1.957 million, each according to their ability. You see, God doesn't entrust anything to you that he doesn't know for a fact that you can through his provision, bring into reality. God gives us a vision, equips us to have a righteous desire, and then paints those possibilities upon your heart. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. You choose, and what you choose, he will guide you into all fruitness and satisfaction. He gives you the vision and the image of his heart that lines up with your desires, a dream of something you can't do on your own, but it's bigger than you because you aren't meant to do it alone, but along with him. However, we get defeated before we even get started because we feel we need something more to add to what he showed us. Did he show you money? Did he show you cool shoes? Why worry about the details? Get a vision for your life. Get his purpose. Make a plan and get authority with your pastors and parents and your leaders. Get underneath them. Have them help you, support you, and keep the vision so in front of you that when someone looks at you, they have to look around it and through it just to see your face. You see what I mean? Some of you have felt like you've had a call on your life. 
but it's not feeling like it's ever going to be a reality. You've been discouraged or distracted, allowing time suckers and comfortable warm blankets and pillows to keep you in bed. Even though you might be awake, you are not up. Repeat after me. If what I saw is not what I see, then what I see is temporary. God's given you a vision. And just because you're not seeing it now does not mean that it's not coming. But if it will come depends upon if you will get up. You see, this man gave each according to their ability. Then he went away. Where is your God? Hmm, that's a question. The world is in a pandemic. Grandparents and family are dying. There's such evil in the world. Where is your God? What a poor argument, honestly. But it's one we hear all the time. Christ did go away, but he will return soon. I can hear his footsteps. But you see, he knew you'd be too comfortable with this whole earth thing and what it has to offer you. He knew maybe you'd wake up, but not want to get out of that comforter, that blanket that keeps you warm, keeps you safe, as long as you don't let your toes stick out the bottom, right? So Christ said, it's better that I go. Behold, I send you my comforter. My kids used to love to get out of their bed in the morning and come into me and my wife's room and get under those big goose down comforters. It's bigger, it's warmer, it's safer, it's between mom and dad. And they think when they get up out of bed, it's all mine. <laughs> my littlest is 13 and she still sees like some sort of sixth sense when we get out of bed. She could be dead asleep, but once we leave our room, there will be like this little blonde flash of lightning with no thunder and bam, that comforter is wrapped around her and she's asleep and happier. You see, Christ left, yes, but he sent us his comforter, his Holy Spirit, so we can preach the gospel with all boldness. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit gives us power to share the good news, to make disciples, to heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons, all for the sake of regathering all nations unto him. That's Jehovah Jireh, God our provider, Yahweh, God Almighty, in Christ. But all we have is the comforter. I wish we had Jesus himself to walk with us. When I have just his comforter, I have his warmth he left in it. I have the delightful scent of the clean blankets as he doesn't let his bedding go unwashed for six months at a time like you filthy animals. <laughs> but I mean, if Jesus were here in person, he could give me confidence that what I'm doing for him, who I'm sharing the gospel with, how I'm praying, how I'm teaching, how I'm living, is it all right? Is it good? Or am I wrong? I'm just a little too nervous if I'm going to do it wrong. Those three servants of that master didn't have him on speed dial. They couldn't shoot him a text. But he trusted us, and he gave us what he thought we could handle. So they took risks. The one with nearly $10 million got investing. Every way he could, with 100% certainty that he lost money. But the secret of being wealthy is having more money coming in than going out. You can lose millions of dollars and still be stupid rich. I'm pretty sure Elon Musk just paid $11 billion in taxes, and he does not look hungry. So that first servant, even among big losses, had even bigger gains. With great power comes great responsibility, right? Spider-Man, very touching moment in all three multiverses. To those who have been entrusted with the more is usually because they have proven to not be phased by loss, by starting over again, by taking huge hits. 
Those who don't fear death can't be owned by anyone or anything except the author of life. So he took risks and doubled his master's money. The second one got less than half of the first guy, 2.5 million or so. This is someone who is daring, but a little more reserved. Doesn't need to make huge waves, just wants to be consistent. Kind of like a 401k or some kind of retirement investment portfolio. Don't do anything too crazy, but keep investing. Be faithful, look for opportunities, miss many big fishes, but not stress. Invest when and where it looks stable, secure, and dependable. This makes me kind of think of our typical youth pastor or volunteer leader. Faithful, take some risks, see growth, but remains faithful and true. Keep showing up. People come and go. People hurt you and leave you, but they leave their heart open to be comforted by the Holy Spirit and leave room for another hurting soul to come in and be part of their family for however long they choose to stick around. Youth ministry can be the most lonely place on earth, in my opinion. We're surrounded with fun, energetic, awkward young people all of the time. Being kept young and relevant through relationships with these young people. Typically, we have all the cool leaders with the young adults who are super fun, outgoing, energetic, charismatic, and need to, to be reminded regularly that even though they're old enough to drink, they shouldn't be blasting that out on social media as if it is the hook where the hat of fun hangs on in their life. We have a higher purpose, bro. <laughs> but we often find ourselves only in friendships with people who are always coming and going, changing schools, changing grades, graduating and moving on to college, or ending a season of faithfully serving by your side to serve along someone else, somewhere else. Our hearts are always open, but we know everything coming and going is temporary. But that doesn't diminish the seriousness and passion of our love for one another and our purpose in the kingdom for every life sent our way. This, in my mind, is the second service. Unshakable, faithful, consistent, dependable. You can always expect a return on whatever they invest in you. Sometimes young people don't know the power and value of what their youth pastor said when they were young until they're in their upper 20s or 30s or maybe even 40s. That's the value of the second servant, those long-term deposits that only increase in value as time goes on. And one day, 29 years from now, you'll check the value of your shares and you've earned interest on it. Wow, they've multiplied tenfold. That second servant too doubled his money went from about $3 million to $6 million. And when the master returned, he was greatly pleased with both of them. However, there was one other servant who received a small loan of a million dollars. Truthfully, he received in today's value just shy of $2 million tax-free. Now, the master knew he had potential. You don't just give a fool $2 million. Not 2,000 years ago, not 2,000 years in the future, not today. I mean, unless inflation keeps going, <laughs> but man, it literally was one fifth of what the first guy got. That fearless shark of a deal closer over there got $10 million. He lost more money in one of his deals than I was even given. What if I lost all of this? Then what? I mean, it's still more money than I've ever touched or owned. What if I try and what if I fail? 
Then I just have less to fail with the next time. And what if I can't make it back? I can't earn this money and pay it back to my boss. It's too much. I'm just an employee making minimum wage myself. It'll be a debt I can never pay back if I lost it all. And then I'll be in trouble for sure. The problem is, young person, that the third man did not realize that he was promoted from an employee to an owner. You are no longer a servant, but a son. The kingdom has been given to you. All power and all authority has been given to you. Jesus came about death and hell in the grave with all authority, and he has given you that authority to accomplish his will. That means if Christ has all authority, then something in your way has no authority. But we give it authority by being kept in a slave mentality, a worker mentality, a doer mentality. We are not slaves. We are sons, obedient daughters and sons. It's not his money you're losing or risking. It's now yours. He's clothed you in his robes and placed his ring on your finger. You are Christ to the world and your success is a matter of his pride, not yours. If you fix your eyes on him, he will be faithful and work all things together for your good. But this servant stayed afraid. I got the least out of the three of us and he let comparison become the thief of joy instead of celebrating that he now has newfound opportunities as he just stepped into $2 million. He just felt fear, doubt, and even callous towards his master. Listen up, you erase guy one and two, and you only have the third guy, and your boss gives you $2 million to handle to the best of your ability, you won't stop telling your friends. You won't stop being excited. But because someone else got a better testimony or blessing than you, now yours doesn't matter anymore. You've kind of become like Sid from the first Toy Story. I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> and that servant buried that money in his backyard, stripped of joy, wrapped in fear and doubt, becoming cynical of his more than generous master, thinking lies about him that he was a hard man to expect something like that out of him. Just wanting me to do all the labor for him so he can benefit off the sweat of my labor as he does nothing himself? I'm going to plant what he gives me right here and when he comes back, he'll get every cent. Not only did the insecure fool prove himself to be ungrateful and afraid, never having taken a chance, but he also lived in the exact same authority, position, and lack of financial means to change anything about his stature, influence, or blessing. He was instantly a multimillionaire, but no one ever would have known because he was under a poverty mentality of lack and fear robbed by the thief of joy. That is comparison. So neither he was blessed nor was anyone else blessed through him. Some of you know that guy <laughs> works three jobs and still broke. How can you work 72 hours a day and still be splitting McDouble with your friends by taking half the bun and one patty each because money's tight? <sighs> when his master returned, he saw the work of the first two and commended them saying, you've been faithful with the little. Uh, all right, wait a second. Guy number one got almost $10 million and he doubled it to $20 million. If, and if I'm doing my numbers right, anyway, these are numbers I've never played with in my bank account. 
But this man comes back and says, ah, cool, you were faithful with little? (laughs) That's it. I'm done. You're not understanding this for real. When was the last time anyone listening to this considered $20 million little? Okay. (laughs) I get excited when I find a quarter on the ground. (laughs) The only coins I consider uh, little right now is if I see something that's a nickel or less on the ground. So if you're a nickel or a penny, uh, I might pass you up. But even then, I feel kind of guilty. You've been faithful with little. I will set you over much. Much? With $20 million compared to my nickel as standards, this dude just stepped into owning the entire Northern Hemisphere and Brazil. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if $20 million is little, I can't imagine what much is. Enter into the joy of your master. Wow. This man goes on with the same story to the second guy. Little, much, joy, boom. These guys are gone. Celebration and a new level has begun. Now, we've got this last guy. Here you go. Everything you gave me, I didn't lose it. Not even a nickel. (laughs) What a broken heart this man had billionaires don't worry about nickels. Pablo Escobar of the Medellin cartel spent over $1,000 a week just in rubber bands to wrap the cash he had accumulated. This third kid did not come in third place. He failed to even place because he failed to compete at all. I told you, God will not compete for your attention. He's already provided everything you need to win the race. To see all your dreams come true, he's already transformed you from a servant to a son, from a slave to a master, from a broke middle school student to a millionaire in the kingdom. But because you think your time is worth nickels and pennies, you freely give it to anything that asks for it without question. And the only one who actually values your time waits patiently and won't lower his standards to beg for your attention. He came down to your level once and won that battle as a man. That is Jesus Christ. He doesn't need to prove a thing ever again. Three days in the belly of the earth, risen a victor. He's not coming to your level again. He's paved a path and paid a price for you to step up to his level. He's called you up, brought you up, and now is reminding you that his footsteps are outside that door. Are you awake? Are you up? Rise up, O sleeper. Get out of bed. The master looks at the third man, sees his $2 million, and a different story pans out. You wicked, lazy, worthless slave. You believe you're a slave, though I made you a prince. Then, as you think, so you are. You should have at least invested what you had into the bank and got a few dollars back, added any value to what I gave you. You doubting, lazy, passive, fearful, selfish, self-gratifying, self-seeking narcissist. Had you at least gave anything to your church? Hello? Stayed late in stacked chairs, served in the nursery, helped run slides, even came a couple times maybe to pre-service prayer with your pastor had you invested at all. And by doing so, even in the littlest way, you would have 
added even some value to what I gave you, and I would have been pleased. $20 million is nickels to me, and you think I care about your $2 million? I care about your heart and your mind. Even when given a prize you could have never earned on your own or paid back, you remained a slave instead of a son. You remain unchanged even though I promoted you from burger flipper to franchise owner in an instant. Yet you hid that transformation from the world and not a single person benefited from your blessing. No, no, that's it. You were my follower. You were my servant. Guards, guards, Take this man's money and give it to the guy who's got 20 million. Yeah, that's how it is. Anyone who has, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, because all you had was what I gave you. You didn't add any value to it or even try, so you have nothing. I'm going to take back what's mine, which leaves you with the nothing because you did nothing. And even what you have has now already been taken away. Guards, throw this worthless fool servant of mine into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping, wailing, travail without end, an endless clenching of your jaw and grinding of your teeth and agony and darkness. A fool is not someone without education or knowledge. A fool is someone who knows better, but doesn't do it. James 5 tells us, He who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Jesus even says, Now that I have come, they know and are guilty of sin. Had I not come, they would not have been guilty. It would have been found blameless. This year, and hopefully every year, till those footsteps outside your door arrive and the owner of the house comes in, I hope you hold this in your heart. The master gives only what is your capacity. Don't let comparison destroy your faith and testimony. Awake, arise, get out of bed, and walk not as fools like the third servant, but wise. A fool has knowledge, but does not apply it. One who is wise simply applies the knowledge they have. That is the mark of the wise. Wisdom is applied knowledge. You know to read your Bible, but do you? You know to pray, but do you? You know to be baptized, but have you? I'm calling you all to awake, to arise. The footsteps of our king are just outside the door, and he's returning not only to judge the just and unjust, but the righteous, those who call themselves servants of the master. Have you taken the great gift God has given you and applied it to your life? Or are you sleepwalking? Are you a fool, not applying the knowledge of Christ to your everyday life as you learn of him? Awake, arise, walk as wise, not as fools, For the days are evil, and soon is the return of our Savior, who will judge both the living and the dead. God be with you. Amen.